Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Thanks for downloading this week's episode of the Attacking Scrum podcast. Make a return to talking about topical rugby issues this week after something of a break during lockdown. And even though there's not been any rugby played in Wales, uh, there is no shortage of things for us to talk about as uh, the rugby world gets ready for, I guess, the the post-COVID scenario and looks to try and create some degree of uh, of normality and secure the financial uh, future of the game. And we thought there'd be no one better to help us try and dissect what that might look like than the Guardian rugby writer and a good friend of the show, Paul Reese. So I caught up with Paul last Friday, and we had a really long chat about various different things, ranging from player wages, the chance of autumn internationals happening, whether a global calendar is something that is a realistic, uh, a realistic thing to aim for, and just how rugby might change after all of this uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic. So it was fascinating to talk to him. He's a really, really brilliant guy, uh, fantastic mind when it comes to the the bigger picture of rugby so thoroughly enjoyed uh, catching up with Paul and hopefully you will enjoy this episode too and uh, yeah let us know what you think by dropping us a line at Attacking Scrum on Twitter you can do the same on Facebook and Instagram too and as always a big thanks to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades you can go to socoffeetrades.co.uk if you want to replenish your coffee supplies and do it with some of the best stuff right on with the show Welcome to the Attacking Scrum podcast where Welsh rugby matters. After spending the bulk of lockdown looking back and taking a trip down memory lane, it's now time for us to look forward and examine the future of the game that we all love. There are many uncertainties and the road ahead looks pretty unclear at the moment. So joining me to try and make sense of these strange times is one of our favourite rugby journalists from The Guardian, writer of the superb weekly newsletter, The Breakdown. It's Paul Rees. Welcome, Paul. How are you? 
Good, thank you, Jed. Yeah, fine. Bear, bearing up and, uh, <clears throat> and in these strange times, four months without rugby. A lot long, <laughs> long, longest, longest time ever. Well, that's right, isn't it? And uh, you, you've done you've done an excellent job of finding things to to write about during that time. And we're going to explore it. A whole load of issues during this uh, this episode because while there may not have been any action on the the pitch or certainly not in this country there's been all kinds of toing and froing off the pitch so we're gonna we're gonna dive into that and I'd like to like to start the the headline that you ran with yes in yesterday's uh, yesterday's Guardian Rugby newsletter was change or die is the post-covid situation in rugby that serious I think so Jeb because you, I mean it was serious before it wasn't it you look at you only you only going to look at the the the, of the 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 four Welsh regions in recent years in terms of finance and and in England I know Exeter make a profit but that's basically because their chairman their chairman's company <clears throat> sponsors the club the the you know, underlying losses are there as well so it's, it was it was a game that um, that was struggling to be sustainable and COVID has just exposed the fault lines for everyone to see you know including those who maybe in the past didn't want to. And, you know, player cuts of 25%, just the start of it. If, um, you know, the, the Premiership's re- resuming its season in its entirety from August the 15th, but initially without without crowds, um, they'll have TV money. But with the RFU saying it will lose £107 million, the last four years of the elite player agreement between the union and the clubs um, will will take a big, big, big hit. Um, so yeah, it is. It is serious, and that's why it's a perfect chance for a reset. Because we think you know the game turned professional in 1995. Three countries were ready for it: yeah. Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. The rest weren't, um, and they sort of you know they 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 made it up as, as as they went along, and it was little bits here, little bits there, and the result is is just a mess of a calendar. Which as the game becomes <clears throat> sort of you know more more physical, more skilled. It's just taking a huge toll on those players at the top. Um, for that reason, you 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 hope something will change, but every attempt to fail. But now, unions and clubs, you know, are some of them are faced with going to the wall. Um, you would hope that it's that it does it does focus minds, and and a global calendar is being talked about. Um, but it's 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 that sort of. That sort of program where you don't have tournaments overlapping. You think of a, you think of a European season starts in September with with six weeks of league games. Then you go into Europe, then you're back back into back into league. Then you've got November internationals. Then you're back to one league weekend. Then it's Europe. Then it's then it's um, league back to Europe into the Six Nations. I mean, it's and everybody, you know, wanting a wanting a, a big slice of the top players, and it's just. To me, it's becoming unsustainable, and this is this is the opportunity now to do something about it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think if you, you cast your mind back a, a couple of months ago, we had the World Rugby presidential elections. There did seem to be a, at least talk of a desire to, to collaborate with one another. Yet we now find ourselves in a situation where club rugby have announced their schedules, uh, but the autumn internationals haven't been fixed out. Now I know these are extenuating circumstances, but it doesn't seem to indicate that there's much more working together than there was before, really. No, I mean, they had that, um, <clears throat> they had that sort of professional game forum, um, sort of uh, um, chaired by World Rugby um, at the end of June, where you know club officials were there, 
unions, players, you know, like, like Owen Farrell and Johnny Sexton. So it was sort of an, an, an player associations representative. And it was, so all the sort of major stakeholders, for the first time really, talking about this. Now, clearly there was no agreement reached and, and there'll need to be more meetings, um, which, haven't been, which haven't been scheduled yet. But, you know, this, this is a good example of how, of how the game even 25 years into professionalism, still retains, you know, a lot of its its old amateur core. Um, you know, World Rugby chaired this meeting, but it's it's it, you know bringing the various parts together and almost acting like as a referee. Whereas a proper sport, World Rugby would be leading, but because it's made up of unions, who don't want it to, it's not allowed to, and so you know. Players have complained in the past that, you know, when Will Rugby comes up with man, they don't speak to players. Well, in order to speak to players directly, they need the permission of their unions. And in the case of France and England, they found it very difficult to get, other than for player welfare issues. So on, on, on major issues, you're not, you're not going to make many strides forward. But the fact this one was held, you would hope now that that is the first of many and that, you know, it is going to be a compromise in the end. Unions aren't going to get all what they want, clubs will. But you know, if you if you if you look at it from a from a player's perspective, the demands being placed on them, then I think you can um, you can find you can find a way out of this. But if it's simply um, you know the old the old belief that you know the more games you play, the more money you make, then no, it won't get anywhere. And uh, yeah, a couple of times there we've mentioned the global season and also compromises. I guess two things: is that global season achievable? And if it is, who are going to have to make the biggest compromises? Um, I mean, it would be what it would mean is summer rugby in Europe. I mean, clearly, summer rugby in Australia is not an option. <laughs> it, um, places like Queensland, Western Australia, even you know, even Sydney, um, just be too hot. And South Africa as well. Imagine playing summer rugby in Durban. Um, so it's only New Zealand and, and Europe where summer rugby would be an option. Um, but if you if you're to if you're to get to a a calendar where as I say you don't have overlaps, so you wouldn't quite i mean one of the plans was European um, club season starts same time as super rugby sort of in in January you play it for a couple of months, then it would pause whilst the six nations was played in in march and and, and into April, and then resume go all the way through until um until August. September, when you would have your two-two windows combined. So, you, so again, so there, as I say, there'd be no overlaps. It would be virtually played in in, in blocks. Now, of course, the ones who'd have to compromise on that are clubs, hmm. because their season would start would start later and and would be slightly contracted. Not so much of an issue in in England, though. I I I, I don't suppose they would um, support it unreservedly. But in France, where of course you've got a fourteen strong league, which starts in August and goes through to June, um, they would they would either have to play midweek matches or or decrease the number of clubs. So they're the ones at the moment who are who are most most opposed to it. And you know they bring up you know the idea of of, of, of playing in August in. In France, which is holiday season, well, given they start the top fourteen in the middle of August normally, I don't, I don't quite see what they're what they're going on about. But yeah. that's they. So, so you would in that, in in that sense, they would be the loser. But it will all come down in the end to finance. And I think what you know, you've seen CBC 
been involved with the Premiership last year, Pro 14 last month. They're talking with the Six Nations. They're talking with Southern Hemisphere. And I think, you know, I think their, their, their plan, though they've never come out and said anything, is to, you know, is to link the games between North and South, both internationally and club-wise. So you're, you know, every, I think, I think one idea is every four years, um, you would have a you know North meet South club championship. So you would get to the quarterfinal stage in Europe in the Champions Cup. You get the quarterfinal stage in Super Rugby, and those teams <clears throat> would meet each other. Um, and and again, you know, if 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 it can be proved to clubs that the global calendar will will make them more money, then there's a chance they would go for it. But I suspect ultimately it would mean losing a few of those clubs. Are 12 English clubs sustainable, 14 in France? That's the question, I think. Well, I, I think, to be honest, all the evidence would suggest in England that they're not. Uh, you know, like, like you said there, you've, you've only really got Exeter in the, uh, in the black, and that's with, a, I guess, a, a bit of, I don't know, let's not call it creative accountancy, but it's certainly something that... Um, it's not as straightforward as perhaps it looks at first glance. No, no. Um, and, and, you know, France is sustainable as long as there are the, the, the sugar daddy investors. And, um, and again, that's only as sustainable as, as, they, as they have interest or are able to, to put money into the clubs. So I don't think, I don't think really you can talk about either of those models as being, as being sustainable, but there is enough interest in the, um, in the top 14 at the moment to, um, to be able for it to, to kind of, Fly, fly on its own. I, I think the fact that Premiership Rugby has taken the money from CBC shows that they need to uh, they need to change things and they need to to readjust this model and obviously all the, the player negotiations that have gone on with it. Um, we're going to come back and talk about club rugby in a second, and really, uh, I want I want to get back to to CBC as well. But just while we're we're talking about the, the global calendar, this idea of a, a nations championship that was shelved last year. But Bill Beaumont has seemed to indicate that this may well be revisited in, in some way, shape or form. What are your thoughts on creating an autumn tournament rather than one-off tests as we've, as we've kind of got, got very used to having? I mean, I think in principle, it's, 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 it's the right move because you, you, think, you think of the, um, you know, the July tours and, and November tours. In both instances, you've got sets of players coming off the back of a long season. Um, you know, Wales went down to New Zealand and they, a couple, couple of summers ago and did all right in the first test, did all right in the first half of the second test and then fell apart. Um, and it's, <clears throat> it's, it's sort of worked better over the years in November because the Southern Hemisphere team has been stronger. So the fact that they might be off it slightly just, just sort of evens it up a bit. So, so in principle, you know, the idea that, you know, it, it would have to be aligned to a global calendar that you could, you know, you could dispense with a club season and then, you know, players are in the same condition. You haven't got one at the start of the season and the one right at the end of it. So it should, from that point of view, it should make it, <clears throat> make it more even, make it more attractive. And it would certainly, I think, be more worth more to, to television and sponsors, which at the end of the day, after all they've gone through in the last few months, is what will count in the end. Well, it, it is. And... You know, kind of having a um, a fairly decent grasp of that knowledge from what I do as a as a day job. I think that 
all the talk is about attracting new audiences and and growing yes. the game and and that that makes perfect sense and i think really that the the touring nature and the the kind of the the one off tests is a bit of a throwback to to the amateur era and you know you can put a large amount of meaning on a a one off test with australia when you only play when you only play four or five tests in a season when you play 12 or 13 and you might have four of them against australia it doesn't have the same it doesn't no. have that that same um, appeal no. that it that it would have had in in the amateur era and also i think in terms of attracting a new audience you've you've got to make things clear for people and you know if you have a an audience that's that's perhaps uh, used to watching football and i think particularly if the game were to move to the summer if you're if you're if you have to explain to someone what's happening oh well so what's the outcome of this game then oh well you know wales beat new zealand well, well what do they win the world cup no it's not the world cup it's uh, it's a, a test match oh so it's a friendly yeah. you know it's it's a very hard thing to explain whereas actually have i think the time has come uh that, that having something meaningful in the autumn is going to be so much more attractive to new audiences therefore to sponsors and uh, and it, it is something that, that does need to be achieved but it, like you say without the global season it won't work and without the buy-in of and, and a, a clear pathway of of any uh, of any rugby nation across the world you know it, it can't just be reserved for the uh, you know for the for the big eight sides in the world because that's gonna that, that's that's gonna be completely it's gonna completely sabotage um relations with those nations for when it comes to the world cup of course yeah absolutely which is why you know world rugby um i mean they were hoping to do it <clears throat> next year might be 2022 now setting up the you know the the divisions below their proposed nations league for the tier two developing nations um so they would they will be they will be up and running from 2022 i think you know i, I mean a key thing in this as well as getting the global calendar um is um central contracts now most players throughout the world um you know are employed ultimately by their unions ireland scotland um wales is the sort of halfway house isn't it but mm. shifting more towards the union all of a sudden hemisphere nations the two major exceptions France and England and you know that is 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 the big hurdle now again from the RFU's point of view they might look at it and think well we can't afford central contracts but given the amount that they're throwing at their clubs for this elite player agreement I would argue central contracts would make make a lot more sense now can you get France to do it I see that's that's the question but if you had if you had central contracts it wouldn't mean players didn't play for their clubs anymore. It would mean that their, you know, appearances are uh, are, are are sort of properly rationed, maximum number of games per season. And so, when you had those, you know, September, October, October, November international windows, whenever they are, you know, at the moment, you know, how many how many times do you know England or Wales or Ireland go away and leave a few players at home? France do all the time. And similarly, you know, tours in November very often they're not they're not at full strength. If somebody needs an op, he has it or they feel he needs a rest. Whereas if you had if you had this one, you know, two windows back to back, they would all be, you know, you know, the strongest available sides. And again, just becomes more meaningful. But I think you would need every country to have their players centrally contracted. So there were no no more of these rows about and you're gonna get it now in the Six Nations. And you know, one of the reasons why the clubs have announced before um before World Rugby has, um, and it, which again is acting as a as a, as a referee in this, 
is is this question of you're going to have five or six international weekends instead of three because you haven't had the tours this, this this month so you need regulation nine to be sorted out now the french clubs have agreed to france playing five five weekends um but you know because the internet official international windows are only you know tournaments and then july and november anything outside that clubs are not obliged to release their players you've got to got to ensure that they that they do so and that's you know that again for for a for a professional sport it's it's and given that you know the vast bulk of revenue from rugby comes from test match rugby it's and especially in this climate it makes no sense it doesn't make any sense and i think if you if you were to compare it to to any other sport, again, it's another one of these things. It's very hard to explain to people that you know you you might have somebody falls in love with rugby around around the Six Nations, goes, "Oh, that's fantastic," and then to explain to them that oh, actually, there's going to be large chunks of the season where the best players won't be playing because there's international rugby taking place at the same time. It it does make the blindest bit yeah. of sense because you're not used to that in 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 any other sport really certainly not, certainly not football yes it happens in cricket but let's be honest again cricket is dominated by uh, by the internet by the international game and um, yeah. well you know to a certain degree and then you've got you've got the IPL in uh, and, and various other T20 tournaments but it, it's certainly not dominated by by county championship cricket and uh, and and that's, that's the thing it, it's again it, it is a throwback to the amateur era and something that while coronavirus gives you this opportunity to to address the, the the professional game as a whole, that one is is another glaring one for me that just has to be ironed out one way or the other. And it, and again, you want you know you want world rugby to be able to lead and not be, you know, at the moment you look at the you look at the voting um, system on world rugby. I know it's changed over the years, and you've got you've got more votes now for for emerging countries. But ultimately, it's still you know if the Six Nations act as a block, they can stop they can stop something happening. Because they've got six, rugby championship have got four. Now, you know, well, if rugby championship went up to six, <clears throat> and let's say it was Japan and Fiji who came on board, um, and you gave them equal voting rights, it'd be six against six, and therefore, you know, will rugby be in a stronger position? Because suddenly it would be, it would be chairing this. Um, so I think that's, you know, that that's that's something that needs to be ironed out. You look at the nation. Why did the Nations League fail last year? Maybe there were flaws, flaws in the plan, but. By and large, it's it held water, and it was certainly you know financially attractive. But it fell because the six, only it only needed one of the Six Nations countries to to vote it down, and it was it was dead. And that's that's well, I mean, Ireland, Scotland objected, Italy, for obvious reasons, weren't too keen, and it fell. And that you know again, that to me is is wrong. You don't want you don't want a position where. You know the hundred odd members of the of, of World Rugby have, an, have, have one vote each. Of course you don't. You've got to you've got to protect your um, your revenue generating countries. But equally, you don't want a system where a block of them can um, you know, can out, out regularly outvote the others at a time when the game in the Southern Hemisphere is is is. Is in not dire straits. I mean, Australia may be in dire straits, but it's you go back to '95 when they they'd done a deal with Murdoch for Super Rugby in the Tri Nations, and they were you know they they were well secure. And you look at it now, and even New Zealand, they're they're they're, they're struggling. And you need you know you need a, an international tournament where 
which allows them to to better hold on to their to their to their best players. Yeah, you absolutely do. And we're going to come on. We're going to talk about the Southern Hemisphere. We're going to talk more about CBC, and we're going to talk more about uh, about club rugby and specifically what it might mean for the Welsh regions. And we're going to do all of that in the second half. But first, we're going to have this very very short break. Fascinating stuff there, Paul, in the in the first half of the show, and uh, so we've got lots more to get through. Uh, you just finished then by by talking about the the southern hemisphere and the fact that if it's not in dire straits, it's certainly in a, a great deal of of turmoil. And I suppose what you've got now is is this happening on a a club and an international uh, set. Yeah. It looks it looks as though Zanzar is going to be broken up from a from a club perspective anyway. And something that one of our regular listeners, uh, Gasman Roy, has has asked us about is the the likelihood of the involvement of a new set of South African teams in the in the Pro Four team. And uh, you know this this has been the news certainly been reported in the Welsh press this week that the the Cheetahs and the Kings are likely to make way for the the more glamorous uh, South African sides. But again, that expands that tournament. I'm sure it will bring more more revenue with it, and you can't you know. You, even even at the best of times, you you couldn't necessarily criticise Martin and I for for wanting to take that to take that cash. But surely Super Rugby shows us the dangers of expanding too quickly. <clears throat> Absolutely, you go back you go back ten fifteen years, and it was you know it was the best club tournament in the world. Um, and then it's yeah it over it's overreached itself. And you know from a player's point of view, you know we go on about guys coming to Europe for the money. Well, yes, obviously that's um, that's a key factor. But also the travelling, you know. You imagine you, you're one of those South African sides. You're going to Australia, New Zealand regularly. Argentina are in there now. You had you had the Sunwolves for a while. Um, enormous amount of travelling, and then if you're an international player, you've got it all again in the um, in the rugby championship, which is which is strange. So I think um, you, you know New Zealand, and Australia are talking about this, you know, sort of revamping Super Rugby. So it becomes Trans Tasman. Plus one of the plus a team from the islands. I don't know if it'd be a Pacific Islands team or whether they'd, whether they'd ask, you know, <clears throat> Fiji in inverted commas. Um, and that from you, you know again with with you don't know how long travel restrictions are going to last anyway. Um, but simply from a from a purely economic point of view, cutting down all that travel will save you know over a season a hell of a lot of money. Hell of a lot of money, and I think that's that is a prime prime factor. But also, the last five years has been playing to very often empty grounds. Uh, yeah, it has, and do you know what I think doesn't uh, doesn't help that a the, the the dilution of the the league. There's just too many sides. I, I I know the conference system works in American sports. I'm not convinced that rugby audiences are particularly fond of it. Maybe that's just my own personal bias towards conference-based things, but I certainly don't think it helped when you you split. And I think there's you know there's three conferences now. There was one season where there was two. It's it, I, don't, I don't think it's an ideal setup. But the other thing no. I think is you know is the the geography and the rivalry of it. Now, what's brilliant about um, you know the 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 intense rivalry between some of those New Zealand sides. I think it expands over to the to the Aussie sides as well because there is that natural 
rivalry between the, those two nations. Uh, the introduction of, a, of an Ireland team, again, I think I, I could see that 10-team tournament working personally. I, I, I'm not sure there's, there's that same level of rivalry, as you say, with a, with a, a side like the Sharks, for example, that is, that is just so far away in the world. Um, you don't have that, that bragging rights type thing that, that makes a league season special. You know, and, and again, I think that's, that's the problem with, with the Pro 14 is, is there really ever, you could play the Pro 14 for the next 30 seasons, is there ever going to be a rivalry between, uh, between Benetton and Cardiff? Probably not. No. You know, I mean, <clears throat> no. potentially no, with the Irish size, but it's just, it's just too far. You don't have the travelling fans with it. It, it. it just seems like something that a, a more condensed geographically um, Super Rugby one, Super Rugby version is something that feels a lot more achievable. Yes, it is, and and, and, and you know, again, the, the Pro Fourteen is 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 a good example of your know, local is more. You think you know what are the most popular fixtures in the Pro Fourteen? So when you have the derbies, yeah. Irish derbies, Welsh derbies, Scottish derbies, even the Italian derby. I mean, that's. You know, that that's when you get your, your your biggest crowds and your greatest interest. And so, you know, the more you dilute that, which they you know, again, that's what they did in the uh, in in the, in, the, in Super Rugby. It was a, it was a sort of dilution. You want to go, you know, you want to have as much you know, sort of local interest as you can. As you say, you know, Connaught come to the Scarlets. Not going to bring many fans with them, and they Treviso even fewer. And it's go back to the Welsh club system. All the all the the derbies you have there, you know, good 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 away travel and good atmosphere. Yeah, and you know, I, I think like like we said right at the start of the show, that's you know there there is a tendency I think from all of us to to look back to those days with with rose tinted specs on. But you're right from from that point of view, the the grounds were the grounds are full and there were great atmospheres. Pro, the, the harsh reality is is that Welsh rugby was never going to be able to. Uh, to survive no. with nine or ten professional sides, um, and and we're struggling to survive with with four of them. It's about creating something that is uh, that is going to make the most of those. And I, you know, I, I think <laughs> we're still looking back a bit here, but you know, the, the the English the English Welsh League or the opportunity to to get into the English leagues, I think, would have been a um, a good option uh, way back when. I I wonder. Uh, whether this British and Irish league that has been mooted a few times throughout the last year would be a good solution for that. Is that something that you think is a reality or it, it, it's just a bit of a myth that, that would suit the Welsh regions and, and no one else? It probably would suit the Welsh regions. Yeah, but it, yes, it would suit the Welsh regions. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's been, you know, it has been talked about several times over the years, um, but it's it's never... It's never been as popular in England as it is in Wales. Mm. Um, I mean, there's been precious little little support in England for it. on on the basis that they just look at it. Well, we don't need it. Um, which um, up until you, now you can, they haven't. <laughs> no, but it, but it, but it, but even you know, even there, you, you look at you, know, you look at the Premiership. Now, Wasps in Coventry, you know, you've got a cluster of clubs there. You know, Worcester. Yeah. Wasps, Leicester, you know, Northampton, and then you've got ones based in London. Then you've got Bristol, Gloucester, uh, you know, <coughs> Exeter, Bath. They're sort of all, you know, it's it's not it's it's not a you've got you know, Sale up north and then 
Newcastle are back now, but they weren't there this season. So it's not, it, it, it doesn't represent the country as such, does it? Um, but if you if you were to do it, it's it's. I, I think the time has passed on that one. I think the 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 yeah. I think it'll be more. You know, the the the, the way forward on this now will be more, um, more sort of European, and then, as I say, this this sort of this North South Club Championship, which at the moment every every four years, but sort of more, more release. I think will be the um, the outcome, and and it'd be interesting how. You know how CBC, if they if if they if they do manage to join it all together, you know how they will because um, they you you then package everything you know commercially in one. Well, that's it. That to me is the uh, is the appeal. If I was CBC, because let's be honest, they're not doing this for the good of the game. They're doing it to no. They're no. doing it to to blow something up quickly and ideally make a big you know make a big impact uh, in their back pockets. Um, but they might just hold the power in order to be able to do these things. Now you've got Premiership Rugby who uh, amongst all of their other woes at the moment will have to go into uh, reneg- you know, the, the renegotiation process for the broadcast rights. BT have made it pretty clear that they're not going to pay what they paid last time. Uh, from what I understand, Sky have still got the hump about uh, being given the elbow seven years ago. And that then means, well, actually... Who is who is going to pay the the big money on um, on the Premiership Rugby uh, TV rights deal? You know, are Amazon that interested? I think they might take a passing look. I don't know that they'd be they'd be busting a gut to get to it. And I, I don't see really where that big paycheck is coming from. Now, if you were sat there in charge of acquiring sports rights at any one of those major broadcasters, and someone came to you with uh, with a British and Irish league that meant that every week you've got uh, well, not every week, but you know there will be key fixtures uh, within within the schedule most weeks. I, th- I think that sounds a lot more appealing. You know, the thought of the thought of having a, uh, a Leinster, you know, Leinster, like even Leinster versus London Irish, you know, there's, there's something riding on that. There's a, there's a, um, a history and the fact that you could, I think there's, there's ways of marketing it that would, that would really make it a lot more appealing. Um, the, the thing that has just never added up for me is why would CBC get involved with Pro 14? It's, you know, let's be honest, it's not a league you're going to make any money on in its current format. It's not, it's barely appealing to anyone who follows clubs in there. You know, I know the Irish fans seem to like it because their team wins it every year, but no one in Wales really likes the Pro 14. Um, I'm, I'm not sure, I'm not sure anyone really engages with it as a league. I, th- I think that, you know, the, the, a big reason for them buying into it it was, it was cheap, but <clears throat> it's run by unions. So you you establish a relationship with the unions. They're the they're the bulk of the ones in the you know four of them are part of the Six Nations, which is you know, I always felt when when they started talking with the Premiership that the the end goal for CBC would be international rugby, because yeah. the club club game just doesn't just doesn't pay, and <clears throat> you, you know you look at the English clubs, thirteen of them got what twelve and a half million quid a year ago. Mm. there's not much of that left now is there because of um, because of the last four months and they've now given up 27 percent of their of the, their central funds which which i worked out was an average of about one one and a half million pounds each so you know that's that's they're going to miss that now miss it miss it big time so it's for 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 cvc if you it, it, it gives you an entry club game gives you an entry 
but you want you want the international game. So the talking with with the Six Nations have been for a while. There's a sticking point over television rights because obviously the most profitable ones are 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 you pay television, your Sky's, your BTs, Amazon. Though Amazon, I think would they probably only be interested in, in international if you could get the likes of you know Japan, USA, um, big big populations uh, interested, so they could flog their their prime package. But you know, Six Nations again, you don't stop there. What is what is who's the biggest prize in international rugby still? It's New Zealand. So you you know, if you've got the Six Nations, you then I mean I know they've they've been having talks with the uh, Sansa countries, but you know, get it all, join it all together, and then you you know you really can start to maximize its 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 commercial value. But as I said earlier, that will mean a more elitist feel. Um, you know, some of the some of the smaller English clubs, smaller French clubs, some in the in the Pro 14, maybe will they will they have a, a part to play in this, or will there be an effective second division? I th- yeah, I mean, I, I suppose the the big question with that is is with CVC having invested in so many different areas, is can they sew it together? That's that's what so much of it hinges on, and your gut tells you in this world that money talks and they've got no shortage of money and union after union are going to find themselves in more, uh, in yeah. more financial trouble. So my gut says, yes. What, what is your thought on, on, on whether they can say that the whole thing together? Yeah. And it was interesting in that six nations statement this week, they, they sort of, um, you know, they underlined, um, that you know they were not going to make a decision based on the economic circumstances they were now facing. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, Six Nations. It's the entry point to rugby for many, isn't it? Six mm. Nations. Watch it on TV. Now take it off BBC and ITV. Put it on Sky, BT, Amazon. What's your audience going to be? It's going to be reduced. And it'll be oh. significantly reduced. And so those who come into rugby through the Six Nations now, uh, you know, probably probably drop by what sixty, seventy percent, including you know, including kids. And that, you know, when 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 cricket went off um, Channel Four, they had a you know they they found there was a there was a huge drop, but it was it was in the young that it was that it was starkest guys suppose they don't they can't go in the pubs and watch it can they if they haven't got it at home um, no they can't and it's um i, I suppose that the, the cricket example is, is often held up and and quite rightly as something that that damaged the the long-term health of the sport particularly from a participation point of view i suppose the thing that is different now is that media behavior media behavior has changed so much particularly amongst young people since 2005 that linear tv is not the be all and end all no the thing thing that has remained the same is paying for stuff if stuff is free you know if it was uh, if uh, the six nations was free and was broadcast on uh, on on youtube and on twitch and all these places that uh, that young people are spending their time well you might still be able to create an audience there if it has to be paid for, that's just another big barrier to entry. I'm not saying that kids won't pay for stuff because they will, but you have to give an entry route. And uh, and if it's behind a paywall, which is is what they which is what the the, the likely the, the likely outcome would be, it makes it that much more difficult to do it. And and as you said, you know, rugby has an aging audience. Yeah, it it, it does have an aging audience, and that you know that it, it, I mean, you know, tricking them and talking about hoping that they can. 
have up to 40,000 for, for November. And again, you know, a lot of the, because of the fears about you know, the, the transmission of, of COVID-19 you know, and, and the impact it has, you know, the greater impact it has, the older you are, you know, they're going to have to find a, a younger audience in rugby. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, the, the autumn really isn't that far away. That's the other thing I think is, no, attitudes, you know, we're kind of getting to a, a point now where in England anyway, that's, you know, the, the lockdown restrictions have been, have been lifted somewhat. Uh, are people going to be prepared to, to fork out 80, 100 quid to go and watch, to go and watch a game at, at Twickenham and, and put themselves into a very, um, a very closely densely um populated stadium i don't know I, I you know i think that's that's a big uh that's a big ask for people in in just a couple of months you know it might it might well be right now i don't think the RFU have any choice but to try that uh but it but whether or not it'll work i'm, I'm not so sure let's let's just have a look at, at wales in that same scenario as well because obviously <laughs> they'll be desperate to, to get uh to get the autumn games played and the remaining six nations fixture that, that very nearly did get played and yeah, it did. Yeah, well, yeah, I was, <clears throat> I was driving to Cardiff when the announcement was made, but um, it was. I mean, I mean, and it was it was made by the Welsh Rugby Union, it wasn't? Yeah. It wasn't Welsh government or scientists who told them to pull it off. They they just suddenly realised that they were an outlier. Everything else was was going, and the, and, and, the, and 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 their match was 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 still on, so they they called it off. I think I think the point when the Premier League called off their games was the the point where that was a real tipping point. Because if I'm honest, you know they. Yeah. They they stick a game on up against uh, up against the Queen's funeral if, uh, if if it was a top four game and they thought they could get enough enough people watching. It's um, the point where they said we're we're gonna we're gonna have to have to shut this down. That's when I think the World Rugby Union couldn't you know couldn't possibly ignore it. But no. I suppose the the options are then you know whether whether the principality uh, will be ready for uh, ready for for rugby or will still be being used as a hospital. I know that agreement is in place until. October, November time, I think. Um, so the options have been mooted about Wales potentially playing in playing at a stadium in England in order to to maximise capacity. Is that something you could see happening? It would it would have to happen, Jed. If um, you know, there, I mean, two things: one, will will the principality be available? And two, if it is, will anybody be allowed in to watch it? Mm. And you know, if the answer to the second question is no, then it's not going to be you know particularly worth their while putting it on. Whereas if you can go into England and, um, you know, and, and you can, you can get a, you can get a crowd, then it's even with the hiring of the stadium, it would be, it would be worth it because again, you know, I mean, Wales desperate, desperately need to, um, to raise funds now, desperately need to do it. Um, and it's, you know, if, if, if the RFU, you know, budgeting for a 107 million pound loss, I mean, what would Wales be? 50, 40, 50? Well, yeah, and and you know, it's harder. It's harder for them to make that money back. And you know, I mean, I've you know, I've argued in recent weeks that you know this is a time now to really establish the primacy of Test rugby, and the reason for that is that you know, if if a club goes, nobody wants to see a club go, but you know, English clubs have cannibalised themselves in the past, haven't they? Richmond and London Scottish being being prime examples. But if a union goes, you're talking, you know, you're, you're talking the entire game. And, you know, we, we, we've spoken at length about the professional game. What about the community game? Because, you know, when that starts up again, it's, you know, the whole, the whole point about community game is its social aspect. 
I mean, the one thing about this virus, it kills social occasions. And so, you know, players will have to turn up in their own cars, change with their own water, play the game, go back in their car and go home and have a shower. No social... Mm. Now, you know, how many, how many are going to do that? You know, the, the, the risk to the, to the community game is, 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 is twofold. One, from unions being financially stretched and, you know, having to impose cuts, but you know, will, they, will they do them more on the community game than on the professional game? And then secondly, from the actual playing itself. Um, you, you know, what you're, you're used to having a play, play a game and have a good night out, but a good night out goes. And that's, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's as, as of equal concern as what is happening at the top because, you know, it's, it's again, goes back to the television audience. You know, you've got to, you've got to build your base. You've got to have that real foundation. And if, you know, if that's, if that is shaky, then ultimately it's felt at the top. It is. And just, uh, just to finish then, Paul, I mean, obviously it's been a pretty, uh, pretty heavy go in this because the, the, yeah. the fears of the future of, of the sport are, are, are pretty grave. Are there any kind of rays of hope or any green shoots that you can see out there that, that might give us a, a, little bit of a, a little bit of hope as we, as we go into these strange, strange times? I think the fact that, <clears throat> the fact that it's, you know, that, it, that there are serious concerns for everybody involved in it, unions, clubs, you know, and players. I mean, they're all in this together. And, you know, talking to all, to all sides, there is a recognition that something has to change. But, of course, it's how much you're prepared to, to, to compromise. Um, but I think if they, you know, if they, if they, if they do stand back and, and, and put, put self-interest to one side and just, just think, you know, if you were, if you were starting out now with a blank sheet of paper, what would the professional game look like in Europe? It wouldn't be what, what exists now, would it? No. Nobody would come up with that. And so I think if you, you know, if you know, they're talking about the global calendar changing next season, well, I, I would argue that's, that's probably too soon. But beyond that, it's, you know, to me, they've got, they've, they've got to look at it because um, I, I, last year I did um, a sort of sur- you know, financial survey of the Premiership and there was one club that was paying more in wages than it was generating in turnover. And, once, you know, and, and most of them, you know, wages were 70, 80% of turnover. Which you know, you, that's that's not sustainable, not sustainable at all. And and it's it's, I think some of them are, you know, some of them have recognised that. Problem is, you know, you talk to chief executives of clubs, and they'll they'll you know they'll mention the word sustainability. You talk to owners, and they're still dreaming. But I think if you you know if you can get to a position where the chief executives drive it more than owners, then you know you should get change which would allow would allow the game to to move in the next 10 20 30 years in a far more sustainable fashion than it is now but it is it is it is it is serious no question about that well it is and we yeah, will we'll obviously continue to to follow all of the the various different permutations that happen uh we'll be following them here on the attacking scrum and also if you uh, if you want to 
follow more of Paul's work, then make sure you subscribe to uh, to the breakdown, and you can do that by uh, by going onto the to the Guardian website. And uh, I would uh, thoroughly recommend that you do that. But Paul, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's been fantastic to have you uh, to have you back on here, and uh, and some fantastically interesting, if not worrying, topics to to cover. So a big thank you to you. Thank you to everyone uh, for listening and uh, everyone who's, uh, who's been listening throughout, throughout lockdown. We'll have loads more to, to talk and we'll have lots more great guests coming up. And a final thanks, as always, to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades. If you want to get, some, get your hands on some top quality coffee, then you can do that at socoffeetrades.co.uk. Right, that's it for this week. Thank you very much indeed for listening and we'll be back to talk rugby with you very, very soon. Podcast Network.